You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. You're blushing. Nothing else? You thought I was going to talk wondering. about something else, didn't you? I was just wondering if you were going to say anything else. No. Why would I talk about your horseback ride with Gren? I'm not talking about I that. Know. I don't know. Man, this is awesome. This is great to have everybody together for one service. Like, for the, rest of the, for the rest of the summer, we're going to get together one service, our whole family. I mean, I mean, there's just so much power in that when we all come together. I love it. Um, I was thinking about uh, a week and a half ago or so, I went on this, like, little mini mission trip with my daughter. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm getting pictures and video and stuff like that. And I had this thought that we are probably the most well-documented family in the history of families. I mean, like, seriously. Probably the whole generation, like, we're just probably the most well-documented. But I know for, for my family, you know, I, I mean, you could say, hey, you know, what did it look like in June 2008? And I've got that folder, right? I'll show you the pictures of what the family looked like in June 2008, you know? I mean, seriously, to that level of detail. I mean, my kids are going to be able to look back and they're going to be able to see, <laughs> I mean, every month of their life has been documented. If you're a friend of mine on Facebook, I apologize, you know. But I, I, I was thinking about it. It's different, right? Our, our kids are going to be able to look back and, and, and see pictures of almost everything that they ever did. And, you know, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting the kids together and bringing up the pictures on the TV and just randomly going through it and just remembering with them the stories of our life together. You know what I mean? Like there's just, it's so much fun to bring up the pictures and to remember and to reflect the good times, the bad times. You know, you don't have pictures of the bad times, but you know, the picture comes up and then, you know, they start talking about, oh yeah, I remember the hike to get there. Or I remember when Rin fell and whatever. We, we have these different stories, but we reflect together as a family, on, you know, these pictures and these movies, it's documented for us to be able to go and to see. And there's power in that, right? It unifies us as a family. It reminds us of the struggles that we've been through together. It brings us together as a family, and there's power in that. And this is not something that's new to God. You know, that's God, God has consistently told us, you are a forgetful people, you love to forget stuff. And, and, and he didn't give us the digital camera for, you know, years later. But before then, what he would do is he would say, you know what? Put up a monument, man. Do something. Put a couple rocks on top of each other. Mark the day down in your calendar and remember it every year. Do something to remind yourself of the great things that I have done for the family of God. Remind, remember these things. And this morning... That's my hope. That's my prayer. What God has for us this morning is that we can rem- remember the history that gets us to the day that we celebrate today. The history of our life with God that gets us to what we celebrate today in Pentecost. So let me pray for us and invite him to do that. God, we do invite you right now, Lord, that you would use me. That you would use a flawed person who is willing to receive from you and to speak the words that you would have. God, that you would mold 
the words that come and that they would speak life to us, that they would remind us of what it means to be a part of your family, that it would draw us, that it would fill us with, with, with a, a unity, that it would fill us with power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, <laughs> the, the story of the family of God, it starts, it starts with us being created. It starts with us being created. God has created us in his image to be in relationship, right? If you think about it, God created us to be in relationship with each other and with him. He created us and he gave us, he gave us this gift of being in his image, giving us great power and authority, giving us the uh, ability to be able to, to make decisions, giving us freedom to choose one way or the other. And so we know the story. We were created for relationship. And we were given this freedom, and we chose to exercise that freedom in a selfish way. We chose to say, you know, there's going to be times where I want to make my own decision. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to, I don't care about the relationship with other people. I don't care about the relationship with you, God. I choose my own thing. And thus begins the first chapter of the story of our, of our, of our relationship with God, of God continually coming to us, reminding us of how he created us, of who, what his nature is like. What is it like to be a holy God? What is it like to live a holy life? And he comes to us as the family, almost like the spurned lover. All through the Old Testament, he's coming and he's saying, remember, remember the things that I did for you. And he would do the great things. And he would say, that was me. That was me. Come back to me. And we would come back for a little while, but then we'd wander off somewhere else. And then he'd go after us again, constantly pursuing us, setting us free so that we can come back and worship him. The Old Testament is this recurring story of us wandering off and God coming after us and showing us in great and powerful ways who he is, who we are, how we've been created, and freeing us up to worship him, to be back in relationship with him. But all through this time, God would send his spirit. The presence of God would be felt in his spirit. His spirit would come and he would anoint somebody, a prophet, a priest, a king. Someone would experience an anointing that would come from God and they would speak the words of God. They would do the things of God, incredible, powerful things to demonstrate the presence of God. And in those great, incredible moments, they would speak of a time that was coming that things will change. Things are going to change. Things are going to change forever. The prophets, the priests, the kings, they would receive his spirit and they would, they would speak these things boldly. But inevitably, the spirit would come and the spirit would go. They would be able to do great things for a while and then they weren't. But they would speak of a time that is coming when everything will change. A couple of the prophets, Joel, one of the prophets in chapter 2, verse 28, he talks about this. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is, this is super significant because up till then, when we talk about the family of God, really it was, it was a small family, wasn't it? It wasn't all people. It was the Jewish people. Those were the people that God chose to reveal himself. He said, I'm going to use you as one particular example to, to the whole world of the people, the relationship that I desire to have with all people. 
And Joel makes this prophecy, which is massive, which is to say that I will pour out my spirit, not just on the prophets, not just on the priests, not just on the kings, not just on the Jews, not just on the good people, not just on the bad people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In those days, prophecies would be spoken about the days that were coming when God's spirit would be revealed in a powerful way that would change everything, that would change the way that we related to him for all time. And there was also the hint, the murmuring, the, the discussions about one person, one individual who would come, who would be anointed. Anointed sounds fancy. It just means smeared, covered with, that one day there would be one that would come and he would be anointed. He would be the Messiah. He would be anointed with what? With the Holy Spirit. He would be the one that would come. He would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he would do something that had never been done before. If we look in Isaiah, the prophet, when he spoke about Messiah, he said it this way. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. News that would be good to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah would come one day and there would be a freedom that comes that he would be uniquely empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this work. But it would usher in something totally different. And that's where a lot of the confusion came when Jesus came on the scene, right? Because when Jesus came on the scene, they were expecting that this would all happen at one time, that, that Jesus would usher in this new kingdom, and then he would do it with a sword, and then he would establish God's kingdom. His rulership and his reign would be established once and for all and for done. And Jesus came, and he preached the good news to the poor. But when he preached that message, it wasn't to the people they expected. It was to the people that were furthest out that thought, there's no way God cares about me. I know the things that I've done. I know the distance that I've traveled away from him. I know the poor decisions that I've made, or the selfish decisions that I've made, or the things that I've done, or maybe the things that have been done to me that I didn't think God could ever get past. Jesus finds those people, and he says, I am the anointed one, anointed to preach to you. To tell you that the kingdom of God, the rulership of God, relationship with God is closer to you than it's ever been before. And he preached the good news to everyone. And he went to everybody, the people that were furthest out, and he said, good news for you. God is drawn near. He didn't, he didn't back away from our sin. He didn't back away from the fact that we were messed up. He said, you know what? You're messed up. <laughs> God's seen that you're messed up. And he's come to work on your behalf in the person of me, the anointed one. And he went to the people who thought they were, you know, all that. The people that were most upset that Jesus wasn't preaching to them, that he wasn't in their synagogues. And he went to them and he said, God's also seen you and you're not so hot. But good news, he's going to work in your life too. 
If you would accept, if you would believe that you are flawed, just like everyone else, if you would turn to him, then everything is going to change. The work that I am going to do, Jesus would say, the work that I am going to do is going to change everything for once and for all. And so Jesus continues to preach this message, and he continues to garner followers, and people are, are, are coming after him. Maybe in the, in the hundreds and the thousands, people are following the person of Jesus, and then the crucifixion happens. Jesus is crucified by the people that were most threatened by the message of Jesus. But it was all fulfilling the work that he had expected, right? It was all part of the, the, the prophecy that he would do something that would change forever the relationship between man and God. Jesus accomplishes in the crucifixion what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He dies in a way that pays a penalty. I don't know how. Anybody that thinks they know how, don't believe them. It's a mystery how somehow Jesus, in that moment, there's a divine exchange that takes place and all of the junk that we did is taken care of and all the good things that Jesus did is somehow given to us. And we get to enter into relationship with God in a way that had never been done before. The crucifixion happens. But the disciples, you know, they're a little concerned. They just saw Jesus get killed. So they're scattered. They're wondering, is this really it? They go back to their old ways of living. And then Jesus comes back in the resurrection. What we celebrated seven weeks ago on Easter. He comes back and he tells them, no, look, the things that I told you were true. And if you didn't believe, look at me. Look at me, I'm back. Look at the real wounds. Look at the real things that I experienced. And then they knew, this is, this is, this is the anointed one. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that will change everything. They knew it. And Jesus says, but I'm not done yet. It's better for me to go away. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach for 40 days, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to people and I'm going to let everybody know that I'm back. <laughs> and I'm going to encourage them. But then I'm going to go back and I'm going to send the Spirit of God. That's those days that the prophets talked about. Those days will be fulfilled when I go back and I send His Spirit. He's going to come and He is going to change everything deep inside of you. And I was thinking about, you know, the most powerful day in the history of our family. The most powerful day in the history of the family of God. You know, I would, I would have probably thought it was the resurrection or the crucifixion. But really, I believe it's, the more I think about it, it's this day. It's Pentecost. Because up until then, they knew about Jesus. But they weren't empowered to change the world. That, the church was born on Pentecost, the church wasn't born on Resurrection Sunday or on Easter. The church was born on Pentecost. Let's read about that day in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. So everybody had come together, just like we are today. Everybody was all together. Now, Pentecost, this is really, this is really, it's cool. Um, right, Brian? This is cool, but it has a lot of meaning. Pentecost was a significant day even before Jesus. The Jews celebrated Pentecost, and it was, it was called the day of first fruits. Paul would later talk about the Holy Spirit being the first fruits of our salvation. 
Pentecost was also the day that they celebrated the giving of the law. And now we're going to see the Holy Spirit given on this day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them, not just some of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This idea of filling too, it's not like, it's not like he wasn't there. Scholars can talk about where the Holy Spirit was before then. When he, what, did they have the Holy Spirit? Did they not? But what we do know is that in that moment, he overflowed in them. The idea of filling, it's this idea of overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem and God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Again, they're there to celebrate the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then a bunch of different countries I'm not going to try and read. <laughs> Basically all over the world. He's listing all these specific places. He's going from east to west and from north to south. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. This is, this is really interesting, right? To think about, like, God shows up. His Spirit is poured out on everybody, and crazy things happen, you know? And I think in our church, that's why we, we, we as, uh, you know, Westerners, we shy away from Pentecost because it's so supernatural, right? But we worship a God who, by definition, is outside of the natural, who is supernatural, right? We believe that when we pray, we believe that we're talking to someone who is outside of the natural. This is just this, you know, we get these moments of the veil being pulled back just enough so that we can see the supernatural come through. And this is one of those moments. But some people, they said, man, they are drunk. They're acting crazy. They've had too much wine. And Peter, 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 remember Peter? Denied Christ. Peter, hold up, hiding. He stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then he preaches a message, very similar to the message. I stole his outline for this. <laughs> I stole it from Peter. He's cool with it though. And he preached a message of this is the story of God that's gotten us to this place. Peter, Peter, frightened Peter, receives power on Pentecost. And he preaches a message. And it says at the very end that those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. This is the birth of the church. This is the birth of the New Testament church, the followers of Jesus. Up until then, Peter probably still would have called himself a fisherman. And at that point, everything changed. God's spirit was poured out. Power was, was released in a way that had never 
been experienced before. Everyone received his spirit, not just the prophets and the priests and the kings, but the men, the women. Everyone received his spirit. Everyone who turned and believed and said, you know what? This, this is good news. This is good news. I want this good news for my life. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done for me. They accepted that message and they were added to those numbers. This morning, we remember that day. We remember that day of Pentecost. And you know, the the history of the church was interesting. I was reading all the things that the church would do to remind us in Italy. I don't know if they still do this, but in Italy, what they used to do is they would scatter rose petals to symbolize the tongues of heaven coming down from the chapel. So you'd have these, I mean, you can just imagine this picture, but it's reminding them of that day in France, it was said that they would blow trumpets to remind them of the mighty rushing wind. And in the UK, they, uh, they would have parades, and they called it Whit Sunday. I asked David, I said, David, do they still celebrate Whit Sunday? And he's like, no. I said, you need a, De- a DeLorean and a flux capacitor and 1.21 gigawatts to be able to see that. But as part of the history of the church, they would, they would get dressed in white and they would remember all the people that were baptized, all the people that came into the church on that day. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our family. Why? Why spend the time this morning remembering it? Because there's power in it. Churches all over the world today are reflecting on Pentecost. They're reflecting on the day that, that God poured out his spirit freely as a result of the work of Jesus into all of us to empower us to live differently, to empower us to get past ourselves, to empower us to worship him unhindered by the things that we've done, that we have been freed from condemnation that we, that we deserved. There is no more condemnation. Therefore, there is no more condemnation. We have been set free to worship him as a result of what Jesus has done. And more than that, we've received his spirit as a first fruits of salvation, as a, as a pointer to what it's going to be like in the next days when there is no more crying and weeping, when there is no more death. It's all pointing to that. And so this morning we remember that. For those who have never heard and never believed, it reminds us, it shows us the heart of God. It shows us the work of God. For those of us that are in crisis right now, and you're like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't get past this. I need that power. Pentecost reminds us the power that is available in God. His heart for us, his desire to set us free, but the power that he pours out on us. For those of us in crisis now, it reminds us. For those of us, just going through the motions. Just trying to, to, to go to church just because that's what we've always done. It stirs us. What does it mean that God's spirit lives in me? I've never, I've never, I've never thought about that. I've never reflected on it. I've certainly never prayed that the spirit would do something in me. For those of us this morning, it, it, it awakens us. What does it mean that God's spirit lives in me? What would that look like? For those of us that have felt trapped, 
in our sin and in the bad decisions that we make and the things that we do that hurt ourselves and other people, the things that have been done that hurt us, and we feel like I just can't get past it. It's a reminder of the power of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain that can latch itself onto us. Even death couldn't stop Jesus. For those of us who are so critical of our brothers and sisters, for those of us who are so critical of other churches, of other believers, it's a reminder that they were together, they were in one accord. There was a unity there when the power of God was released. Do we want that power? Are we willing to look past our differences? Are we willing to look past our own petty issues and find unity with our brothers and sisters? It's a reminder for us this morning. And so I just want to pray that God would do that. Maybe tongues of fire, maybe rose petals, maybe something. But that power would be released this morning. So let's stand. God, we are humbled at the work that you have done in our lives. And we're humbled that you would love us and that you would pursue us. And we pray that right now, your spirit would have freedom in us. That we would exercise our freedom by giving it over to him to do with what he would in our lives. That he would speak to us and that he would move. Come now, Holy Spirit.